Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, who keeps the church? Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson. As always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Today, we're talking about the most important relationships in many of our lives. Sure, we're counting the relationship with your spouse, your former spouse, your kids, yourself, and so on. But for many, this list includes the relationship with their church, church community, and their God. Josh and Christy Grochi offer expert second marriage planning to help you conquer destructive past marriage habits to build the marriage you deserve. Josh and Christy, welcome to the toaster. Thanks a lot, guys. We really appreciate it. It's awesome being here. Well, we're really glad you're here. I, you know, we've, um, we have a lot of things we could talk to you about and a lot of things that we want to talk to you about. But I think the most interesting one and the thing that we haven't talked about on this show before is this, uh, how divorce impacts uh, your relationship with the with your church and and how that happens. And, you know, before we started recording, Josh, you said, you know, we're living in it. And I'm I want to know what that's like. So let's talk about divorce and the church. Um, I, you know, I, I have kind of a loose framework of what I what I want to talk about. But I'm curious how you uh, how when you hear that question, where you go. Well, instantly, you know, it, it's instant tension. So I happen to be on staff at my local church. And with that, I'm the only person that's on staff. We're a medium-sized church of about 600 people. And, and with that, I'm the only person on staff that's ever had an open addiction issue. And I'm a recovering alcoholic of 13 years. But also on top of that, I have something that uh, is even more hush-hush. And I've been divorced before sinner. and remarried. Yeah. He's the only sinner on staff. Uh, I'm apparently the only sinner on you staff. You are the but, only sinner on staff. And the fact that you both are able to openly joke about it is very telling <laughs> well i was i'm i'm jewish josh but if you want me to apply then you can have two sinners on staff <laughs> ah, why, why? because you're because you're an attorney is that exactly i'm sorry seth interrupted you josh go ahead <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's uh it's one of the things that just never goes and is openly talked about you know we don't even really have marriage classes at the church. It's it's really funny. I mean, we're more of a an old Baptist style kind of reformed new, mm-hmm. you know, non-denom style of church. And so mm-hmm. with that, uh, divorces are just never really talked about. And mm-hmm. we, uh, you know, I'm really good friends with my lead pastor of our church and he's a great guy. He comes from a very strict upbringing, a very conservative style. Mm-hmm. And, you know, divorce is just one of those things. You know, you can be forgiven of murder. You can be forgiven of, you know, uh, infidelity. You can be forgiven of a lot of things, but divorce is just one of those things that's just like, eh, we just kind of really don't mess around with any of that. We don't really talk about it. And it's not that they purposely don't talk about it in the sense like we're not talking about that. They have, We just avoid it. The church avoids it. Well, it makes them uncomfortable. It makes them uncomfortable to talk about. So, like celebrate recovery. You know, Josh and I are part of celebrate recovery at our church, and it's different because people can walk into the church and say, "I used to be an alcoholic," but people can't walk in and say, "I used to be divorced." Like you're always a divorced, and a lot of pastors fear that because they don't want to feel like they're promoting divorce because someone that's in a second marriage is thriving and happy. And so mm-hmm. it's it's weird ground. And biblically, it's there's a section of the Bible, and I used to know it off the top of my hand. I think it's in Timothy, but I could be wrong, that says like a person can't be a deacon 
you know, unless they've been married to the same woman, all of these things. And the church is split on that. Some churches feel like it means you can only be married to one woman at that time, because back in that time, men could be married to multiple women, or they were married to hundreds of women. And other churches believe that it means he could only be married one time. So Mm -hmm. it's divided on that, too. So the church is just divided on all of it, I think. It's just taboo. Really interesting to me, especially coming from the Jewish faith, because literally the Torah, the five books of Moses, mentions divorce more than it mentions marriage. Mm. Wow. And in the Jewish religion, when a couple gets married, they will sign a ketubah, which is a marriage contract. And it's actually fairly traditional to have it in English and in Hebrew, where it's signed in your Hebrew name and your English name, and a lot of young couples will get the ketubah and it will be beautifully drawn, like you see in the old ancient scripts, where it's like colorful and and um, like from medieval times, right when when they were first writing and they had scribes, and it, and they'll frame it and they'll put it up in the living room or where it can be seen. It's a be- it's usually a very beautiful document, and then when you get divorced, you're like, now what do I do with this thing? Yeah. My mom actually has like her grandma's or something framed in her living room. And I asked her one time, like, what is this? And it's this huge piece of paper that is like beautifully, it's shimmery and shiny. And she's like, oh, that was the marriage certificate. I'm like, oh my God. And gosh. she's on her third. Yeah. No, that was my mom's grandma. <laughs> oh, okay. My, not my mom. She's actually, she's actually made hers into a flip book. It just keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a cartoon. Uh, <laughs> Well, it's fascinating, one, that I was able to restrain when Seth brought up sensitively the word ketubah, and I didn't insert prenuptial agreement because I think that's what is normally decorated <laughs> right. really it's, nicely. It's, in, in your, exactly, in your exactly. I, I, uh, I think it's, re- you had a question, Seth? I did, because here's what I'm thinking of, is I think of no matter what religion you are, or if you decide not to be religious and you don't believe, but you go somewhere to meditate, or there's a group of people that you you are with, you go there for comfort. And then if you get divorced and you go to church, and I'm just going to use church to describe all those categories that I just said today because it's easier. You go to church and you're in the middle of a divorce proceeding or you're over, the divorce is over, but your former spouse is there and there's tension you no longer have comfort. And then it's like, well, in in my synagogue, there's one service at one time. In churches, sometimes there's numerous services at different times. But then you're like, well, I'll go to the 10 o'clock, not the 9 o'clock. Right. You you know, and it gets so, how do you deal with that? And how does that make you feel? And does that maybe drive people to a different place to worship? So my opinion on this, right? So I I feel like the church just does a really poor job overall. Now, I'm not going to call it every church, right? I don't know every church. There's more than enough churches that I have no clue about. But overarching, I think the church just does a really poor job in loving people through the process of divorce, right? So I know a lot of times what will end up happening is the pastor will pull aside the couple that's struggling and they'll counsel them. 
Mm-hmm. And in the council session, the, the, the pastor's assuming the counseling is going to help. It's going to be an effective thing. Because nine times out of ten, the pastor has no experience with personally with, with divorce. Correct. So he he assumes— Usually, he, yeah. Typically, he assumes this is going to be effective. Now, I've done my job. The divorce has now been—we don't have to worry about stayed. it. Stayed. Yeah, it's going to be stayed, right? And we're not going to worry about it. And we're going to move on, and everything's going to be great. And then he realizes these people outside of mar- marriage counseling decided to get in marriage— or get divorced anyway, which now has this weird tension of disloyalty to the pastor Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I need to put a little extra pressure on them as a church leader to make sure that they don't do this wrong thing that I've already instructed them they're not supposed to do. So now this causes this a large amount of tension in these people. So now it's not even so much that the people, I think, don't want to stay at the church because they feel divided within the church. I think they feel the pressure from the church leadership that this has been so unacceptable that it's not even comfortable being here, just like you were saying, Seth, about this comfort level. I don't really think it's from the church people, though, in my opinion. Well, it's uncomfortable, and it's not, but I do think it's uncomfortable for all the church people. So we have many couples that we know that have one of our best friends, him and his wife at the time, were extremely involved in their church. They were counseling by their pastor, all of this stuff, and we joke because his wife got to keep the church in the divorce, and that's how he ended up at our church. And now he's remarried and everything else, but it is uncomfortable for if you are a couple and you get super involved and you're helping in Awana and you're helping with Upwards and you're helping with all of these things and now you guys are getting divorced, it's awkward, no different than anywhere else for the people within the community of the church because they're like, who am I supposed to be friends with? I Can I be friends with them and them? And so then it starts causing tension on, from the lead pastor if he was counseling them, but also everyone else like... Who are we going to, who are we doing life group with? Like our life group, small groups every other Sunday are with all married couples. If one of them got divorced, it would be like, they can they not come anymore? Like, I don't. Take off the bowling shirt. I don't know. I don't know. And so usually what I've seen with many divorced couples, there is always one person that usually ends up staying at the church and the other one. And it's usually, I've seen both. The man stays, the woman leaves. or. Or the woman's now, I've, from the man. I've got a question on this, though. Yeah. Have you seen ever a couple that gets divorced but is working it out? They're focused on their kids. They set their egos aside, and they're like, our marriage didn't work, but it doesn't mean that we have to leave the church. So if they say, for example, well, who am I supposed to be friends with? With both of us. You can invite us both. We're not going to have tension between us. We hope you won't have tension with us. Or do you think that the tension, because there's tension between the spouses that are getting divorced or have been divorced, that now creates tension because no one wants two people in the room that are going to be like stressing everybody else out. I think it's a little bit of both, though, because I think think, like church needs to love the people well. Like if the people within the church were, if this was a thing that was common and we all talked about it within the church and divorce is here. Like, it's not going away. Let's pretend it's, you know, it's let's not pretend it's not out there. But if the church was educated, the bodies of the church were educated, if the pastors were more educated on how to love people through it and then the couple too, I think that would help. 
there is tension between the couple, but, but I think it would help. But what I was going to say is I think it starts off that way. I think it always starts off with good intentions, you know. And I think there is a little bit of a this is my land type of thing. You know, I, I do believe that. I Peeing mean, everywhere. All over the pews. <laughs> yeah, just everybody urinating. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's my friend, right? so, the church. Don't worry, everybody. We're fine. <laughs> this is my wow. church. Sorry, my sentence. My church. Everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. <laughs> That's a lot different yeah. in the Jewish religion. <laughs> <laughs> she would win. She drinks a lot of water, so she would not win. <laughs> but I think it always starts off that way. I really do. I think yeah. people always start off with good intentions. And yeah. then as time goes on and you really start working through the legalities of things, which you're very familiar with, Seth, you know, things start to get a little hairier, you know, than what they anticipated. And now all but of a sudden— the body sudden, of the church doesn't know how to respond to it either. They don't know how to respond to it, but we also don't have leadership that is instructing them appropriately on that. You know, the overarching purpose of the church is grace and love. Now, I know that's not all of what our faith teaches us, but that is a major portion of it. But how many people have come up to me? They forget that Josh and I are remarried sometimes because we're we've been can't we came to this church married. We have four kids. And so I think they forget, you know, a lot of our friends within the church, the majority of them have been married, stayed married, are still married. And they'll be like, where's your kids? Why aren't your kids? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, they're at their dad's. And they're like, oh. And it's like, they they don't know what to say. Right. You know, they don't know how to handle it. So I feel like if the church body was more educated on not how to not make it awkward or what you could say or maybe give them some questions, you know, that they can ask (laughs) something, you know, because it makes them they're like awkward about it, you know, and then they're and then you feel awkward then it's like, it's okay, like I'm divorced. You knew that, you know, like. I wonder, like, how, how much of this, I mean, you talk about how the church is not interested in, in you know, in, in sort of talking about it so openly because it, it runs into challenges with commitment. And we created this marriage in this church. How could we possibly put our, our weight behind a broken part of it? Uh, but the church community, too, right, comes from this church family is made of people who self-select. And maybe they come, too, because their belief system is in alignment with, you know, the relationship of of uh, uh, marriage and not divorce. So you can sort of see, at least I can kind of rationalize how that would be hard, not just for, you know, the leadership of the church, but for the church family itself to to have to come to terms with the fact that this thing they once knew is no longer a thing that they can cope with, that they understand, and they have to figure out how to adapt. And that, it seems, is slow. Yeah. And it makes it feel like from this side of it, it's an unforgivable sin. You know, it's like, it's like you can, it's such a public thing going through a divorce. And it's like someone can be watching pornography or gossiping or molesting children that has came up in our church, um, all of these things. And it can be hidden for the most part, unless something happens, but divorce really can't. I mean, even alcoholism and things like that. Do you think that the reason it kind of is a sin that doesn't get talked about or is the unforgivable sin is because it's a constant. Once you're divorced, you're divorced. Correct. And it, like that's in their, in, in their face all the time, even though you've remarried and you've committed within the church again, let's say yep. that like, Oh, but they're divorced. It's not like, Hey, I'm a recovering alcoholic and I've been, you know, sober for this long. And I go to my meetings and I fight that battle every day. And, I'm here at church. I appreciate all your support. Sometimes the divorce person will say, yeah, I'm divorced. It's one of the best things I did. Yeah. And that is going to now be in conflict with the teachings. Yes. 
Correct. That actually makes me uncomfortable you saying that. And that's the funny thing about this, right? So I've been in the church community now for a long time. And for Seth, for you to say, I've gotten a divorce and it's one of the best things I ever did. It's almost like that's blasphemy within the church. Like for you to have an open conversation and be able to say that, like, right? It makes you feel dirty, which... It isn't though, right? Sometimes it's it's mega like justify the reasons why you had to get divorced. The Bible justifies divorce on certain things, but we still feel dirty hearing it, yeah. which is means that it's just very uneducated within the church. And we are advocates for it. And it still makes me feel uncomfortable when you say it. It's yeah. crazy. That is that is a fascinating embodiment of this conflict, of the conflict that clearly you are living in, that it makes you feel uncomfortable. And yet, would you agree that your divorce led to great things? Like, wasn't it a good thing? The best things. The best things. I wouldn't be making the money I'm making now. I mean, not to make it financially, but I wouldn't be where I'm in today in my career. I wouldn't be as healthy and healed from all past trauma of my childhood. If I would have stayed married to that person, I wouldn't have been a better mom. I would have been a worse mom. And uh, everything about my divorce, it's the hardest decision I've ever made because I grew up in the church, but it is the best decision that I could have could have made. I should have never gotten married to begin with. And that's hard to say because I don't want my kids to ever feel like I don't want them because I got married and they are the best things that came out of it. You know, I ask that to clients all the time is, oh my God, it was such a mistake getting married. I said, I, I hear what you're saying, but sitting here today with your two children, knowing where you are today in the hell you're about to go through in this divorce, would you do it all over again? Because you have your kids, and everyone says, "Yeah, yeah, they're amazing." Yeah, for so sure. So th- that that answer. Now, I, I actually answered no to that question because my kids a pain. But you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Right. laughs> nope, wouldn't do it. <laughs> I don't. Hey, you've met never like you've the kid. met the kid, right? Like you agree? Yeah, right? yeah. He's like, yeah. I'm rolling the uh, dice. I'm rolling the dice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a darn ATM machine. You know, <laughs> that's right. I mean, yeah. that's right. I don't know what's going on here, but but I think. It's very fascinating to me that we have two people that are heavily involved in the in the church that, um, and I'm not trying to be judgmental here, or it's going to sound judgmental, so maybe I am. You you're 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 you identify as Christians and and not a what I would say a Sunday Christian or a Jew that only goes during the high holy days. You try to live it every day. Right. You appreciate that you make mistakes. We're not judging others. But when it's that much ingrained in who you are as part of your core being and how you identify, then to be there and have this experience that you went through in the past kind of be like the scarlet letter that is there but we can't talk about is heartbreaking to me. It is. It is heartbreaking. I still, I just had breakfast with the pastor's wife, I don't know, like three or four weeks ago. And there was a lady, there's a lady on Facebook that we're, you know, friends with. They're one of the ones that you're Facebook friends with, but you're not really friends with them. And she posted this YouTube video that she had posted like four years ago. And it has like an unbelievable amount of likes and watches. And she's saying about how if you've gotten divorced and you're remarried, it's biblical to divorce your current spouse. You need to go back to your original spouse because because you're committing adultery every day, you know, all of these things. And I started crying when I was talking to the pastor's wife about it, because I'm like, it's just so hurtful to hear, you know, that kind of judgment 
not from everyone, but that can be out there. Like someone actually telling other people out in the universe, in the world, that if you're remarried, I should divorce him and go back to the emotional, damaging, awful human being that my ex-spouse was. And we were awful together. You know, it wasn't that we were good together. And she said, no, you know, you should be honoring the husband that you currently have. And and I get all that. But there's it's that constant question when we want to be so much of what God wants us to be of, I'm so sorry I got divorced. You know, I'm so sorry I got married. I would never want to go back to that person, but I'm so sorry that I ever got married to begin with to go through a divorce because I know that God would not have wanted me. We talk about that all the time to get a divorce. Can can we back up a little bit? Mm-hmm. Because... I'm aware of a lot of people that are involved in a church that have to meet with the pastor before they get married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've never, ever heard of one of those couples going and the pastor saying, don't do this. Right. Our pastor actually is pretty good at it. Like if he... Okay. That's saying, don't do this? Yeah. If he doesn't like he'll, he'll feel call, like he'll they throw a flag on the field. married, he will not marry them. He will not. He will say, Good I'm really, for him. I will, I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to be the one that marries you because I don't think you should get married. And of course, they usually do. They just find somebody else to do. Like Josh, he can marry people. Like he can. So they could find somebody like Josh offline and say, yeah, hey, I'll marry could, anybody. I'll, I'll, pay, I'll pay you $200. <laughs> That's Josh. what my wife's saying right here. <laughs> no. Right, right. Me out. Make it <laughs> rain. Wait, Josh, Josh, how much do you cost? Because I'm, I'm engaged, man. We're, we're in the, we're, you oh, know. 200000 No. <laughs> $200,000. Okay. All all right, but but that comes with what? Okay. <laughs> you want. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Colonoscopy and everything. Yeah, there we go. All right. Get it back. That's Box right. Call That's call right. Like, let's just talk about <laughs> right. it. I thought the 200 grand came with your house. It might be a good deal, but maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> that's not a good deal. That's not a good deal. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's an interesting point that you have a pastor that will meet with people and talk with them and say, I won't marry you and maybe discuss the reasons why and then. You know, that's 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 a really fascinating thing because I've never heard of that. I've always heard of the pastor. They go through it and then ultimately they get married. Right. That's yeah. typical. That's yeah. typical. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We now we also have real quick. We have we have our pastor sometimes, though, too, if we have people that come to the church and they're living together, not married. You know, they call that living in sin. So he's just like, yeah, we need to get you guys married. And I feel like that also is kind of the same thing. Like, yeah. Maybe they Pressure shouldn't be. to get married. How about maybe let's not work on getting married. Maybe we work on getting moving apart first, and then let's work on maybe being the right people to get married. And so I feel like it's kind of, you know, six half dozen of the other. I, I don't know. It's It just feels like that's all the same. If they have, there's an agenda, nonetheless, is, I feel like is, is what the church is. It's like, let's just get some people married, and then it's okay. Well, but I'm going to use this. Maybe winning. I shouldn't use this as an example, but I am going to use this as an example. So there was a guy— Stop me if you don't want me to share this. There was a guy in our church that was a deacon, okay? And there was a married couple being counseled within the church. And they had gotten permission that they could get divorced. Biblically, it was going to be okay. But then it came out that the deacon and this wife, who was still married, were seeing each other. 
And so everyone got booted out of the church, the the wife and then the deacon that they, but now those two people, she's gotten a divorce and now that deacon and that person have gotten married. And now it's like, well, they should be allowed to come back to the church because they're married now. And I'm like, and they what? are They are allowing them to come back. I'm like, what? Like, it, and so it's like just this piece of paper, like makes it to where, so that yeah. it's just stuff like that. Okay. But you just said something very interesting. Because I'm engaged. Yeah. I've been dating my fiance for 12 years. Oh, yeah. I was not the one slowing down getting married. She was. And to her credit, I think if we would have gotten married early on when I wanted to get married, it might not have lasted. We are much better now. Yeah. Um, But she would always say, it's just a piece of paper. And to me, it's not. Right. It's a different kind of level of commitment. To me, yeah. not to her. And, and like, I went to counseling on this. Like, she's like, well, I don't understand why you need to get married. And finally, I just said, it's in my DNA. Yeah. I can't explain my DNA. And like, I've done it. I've done the hard work. I've tried to explain it. And then we get engaged. And the amount of outpouring of happiness and how people treat us and how people view us yeah. is dramatically different. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm sure. And She's annoyed. She's like, I've been committed to you in a long-term relationship, like very early on in our relationship. I, and why is it now that we're saying we're getting married? Do people treat us differently? And I I'm said, because they've got the same DNA that I've got. Yeah. But she, but, but she would say to that, it's, I was permanent before. Why did I need a piece of paper? So it's an interesting dynamic that we do treat people differently based on how they define their relationship and how whether that definition lines up with what our belief system is. Yeah. Definitely. Having sex out of wedlock was the biggest thing. And so now it's just like, oh, okay, well, she got divorced and that's legal. And we had given her permission to get divorced. And the deacon she was sleeping with out of wedlock, well, now they're married. And so they should be allowed to come back to the church. And I'm like, okay. We had a whole meeting about it. I mean, our whole staff right. meeting just was on that this week about them. So, And I didn't know that. So that's just weird that I brought that up. To me, it speaks to this sort of changing nature of cultural expectations of of what their church family is going to do to them and to do for them and their relationship with this word commitment, right? The, the other word that is coming up a lot right now as I've got, you know, teenager, college student is is fluidity that that there that binary uh, sort of binary choices or binary options are are getting fewer and further and further between and that. Maybe that commitment out of wedlock is to this new generation sort of an antiquated ideal. And yet the church might serve those same people in very different ways. They don't need the church to 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 talk to them about their relationship. They need the church for other kinds of support. And so and and there, I bring all this up because, Josh, in the beginning of the show, you said that and, and forgive me when I start lying or correct me when I start lying. Forgive me, then correct me. Uh, you, you said something along the lines of I don't think the church does a good job of loving people through the entire process. Is that a fair recitation? No, it's absolutely true. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I adore that because I think it really represents that changing nature, the fluid, the fluid nature of the relationships that people need with their church and the the fact that maybe you relationships, the, the having the conversation, teaching the church body how to have the conversation in a more fluid way might help adapt to 
these relationships that are completely different than we've ever had had before, right? It's it's like there's evolution happening outside in our relationships that that we're having to adapt to inside this church family that that are running into conflict. It's I feel like people are biblically illiterate, okay? And I'm being honest when I say this. I think 90% of the church is biblically illiterate, right? And we're told that we're supposed to live our lives according to the word of God. And our and the way that we the way that our society treats church is that the word of God is when we go to church on a Sunday and we listen to the patch, pastor teach it to us for an hour. And with that now, we have to now go by emotions and the way that we handle people instead of going by the facts of the way that the Bible tells us we're supposed to handle people. And instead we just follow the lead of what other people do. So if we have some of the older people, which we are called are wise, which aren't always wise, mm-hmm. are have a certain viewpoint. You guys were mentioning earlier, this judge feeling not mm-hmm. so fluid, and they feel like, okay, I need to follow their lead because the way they're handling it apparently is more biblical, which is absolutely untrue. Because if we if we really pay attention to the way faith works, it's not based off of the law of the Bible as much as it's based off of the relationship with Christ. That's our belief. Right. And so if you really pay attention more to that and really dive in and understand what the Bible's trying to teach us instead of follow the lead of the congregation, now we have a better understanding of how to be fluid and be more loving and caring individually with people and stop living in fear. Well, and a lot of it too is it's a lot of the Bible, and people don't like to talk about this, but some of the Bible, not not all of it, but some of it is left up to interpretation or what the times it was at that time. Because you can go look at theologians and apologetics, people that actually way more intelligent than me about the Bible, study it way more in depth. They're split on some of the things in the Bible. Some of them say, nope, it's absolutely proof and truth that it means this. And some are saying, nope, it's absolutely proof. And I've went to our pastor, one of the pastors is, what's, what is he? He's going to school for yeah, he's a gonna doctorate. Be, he's going to have a doctorate. A yeah. doctorate in Bible. I've went to him about some of these things, and he is very honest about it. He goes, no, it's split. There is no 100% concrete, this is what this means in this specific passage. He's like, it's actually split in the Christian community that are some that are believe this and some that believe this. A lot of the reason for that is because the Bible is made up of words. Uh-huh. Words have definitions and they have different meanings. And sometimes one word can mean one thing to one person, one thing to the other. And sometimes the more you try to define something, you create more confusion. And and here's my here's my example on this. You have a child and an adult. Then we're like, well, wait a minute. What do you do with those adolescent type people? Okay, now we have adolescents. So now there is when does a child become an adolescent? When does an adolescent become an adult? Before, we just had one gap, child, adult. We filled that gap. Now we have two. Yeah. So as you start to define things, you might create more specificity for a specific group, but more ambiguity between that group and other groups. And that happens all the time in drafting legal documents, documents that are written. And so I see that over and over again. And I'm like, "Mm, let's be careful. And that's the problem when you're also trying to understand what a text means. And it was written how many years ago? Right. We need to talk about the holidays and divorce, Seth. It is a stressful time for families, especially when alcohol is involved. And our friends at Soberlink want to help. What do they want to do? Uh, They've teamed up with me and other divorce and family law experts to provide information you didn't know 
that could provide peace of mind during the holidays. Pete, eggnog. People are drinking it. Yeah. It has alcohol in it. it, right? It is a culture and, of booze at the holidays. Culture of booze. Absolutely. And for those who haven't heard, Soberlink is the solution if you're going through a divorce and have a custody case involving alcohol. Pete, tell them what it does. Well, if you are, uh, it, it is a device. It's a little device. It's a breathalyzer type device. And you put it in your mouth and you blow on it and it takes a picture. It's got facial recognition of you. So it knows that it's you that are blowing the device at the time you are blowing it. If you are falsely accused of alcohol use, or are you concerned about it, the, your child's safety because of the other parent's alcohol use? This Soberlink device is going to help you collect the data you need to, to support your case in court. Soberlink works hard to keep children safe, offering remote alcohol monitoring system that is the gold standard because of this technology. You love it. Yeah, and I know what people are thinking. Like, I'm not an alcoholic. Why do I have to prove anything? That That's a common thing that I hear while I'm representing clients. And here's what I tell them, is when you have an independent third-party verification, that's very persuasive to a judge. And the reason you have to prove it is because when you're being accused of something, it's human nature, even for judges, to sometimes assume maybe that is true. We believe the negative, Mm -hmm. right? And yeah, they'll have to put on evidence and they'll say all these bad things about you. You can get rid of all those problems and all those accusations by blowing in the device and showing I am not drinking when I have care, custody, and control of the children. And therefore, I should be able to spend quality time with them even during the holidays. Especially during the holidays. And you can get Soberlink's free guide for the upcoming holiday season. You can request it today at www.soberlink.com slash toaster. Thank you to Soberlink for sponsoring this show. I look at this and I think, God, you know, we, we, you know, church family, the churches writ large work so hard to uh, provide clothes to the cold and food for the hungry. And here a person comes to the church whose relationship is broken. And the church has no answer for that need, no substantive answer for that need. The answer is we we can't talk about that out loud, right? Do you have shoes? Because I can get you some shoes if your feet are cold. Uh, Do you need an energy bar? Because I've got those right here. I can give you that right now. But I cannot talk to you about your divorce. So I then have to turn to your work in as marriage coaches together, working on this second marriage piece, given the this sort of ideology that you carry on this other side of your lives with the church. Like, how do you help people to build a positive, healthy second marriage. You know, my assumption is you're working with people in and out of the church on on this work, but, you know, I'll let you talk about it. I mean, the, the main goal, okay, and something that we did, you know, we have a podcast we started years, a couple years ago, and our very first episode was how to bridge the Christian gap. And that's exactly what this is, right? Us being marriage coaches in this space isn't just marriage coaches to have a healthier marriage, even though ultimately that's the, the root of what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is tap into an untapped source of people that doesn't really have somebody to support them, which is exactly what you're leading to. So we think to ourselves, and we've always been the people to fight for people that have a hard time fighting for themselves. Uh, Christy has had an absolute horrible upbringing and uh, has become an absolute warrior of a woman in her life. And so, you know, we believe, and I'm the same, right? And so we believe like 
we don't mind taking the, the heat, standing in the front with the shield, taking the bullets to stand up for something that we know needs support. So that's why we want to step into this and try and support people within the church. It is hard. Our own church did not, we're having our second annual marriage event just for blended families coming up in November. And this is our second annual one holding it, held it at our church. And I had to get almost in a screaming match with my pastor last year. Uh, to be able to have it at our church and more on a fundamental basis. And it's like, you don't understand, and I know you're telling me you understand, but I'm not here to support divorce, buddy. It's not what I'm doing. I'm here to support people that's been in divorce. Like, there's a big difference. And so we want to fight for those people that feel already defeated that they can't win at this game. Well, and for me, this has been an incredible journey thus far, and it's only the beginning, that we have found, his name is Ron Deal. He is extremely intelligent. He's a therapist. He's a Christian. He has basically become just niched into the step family industry. He calls it smart step families, and he does it through family life. He's been in it for almost 30 years, 30 years now, and he helps blended families. He has been a huge support of us and for us. And then also Jay and Laura LaFoon, who are big around Michigan, they are nuclear marriage based, but they call themselves edutainers. So they do like educational things about marriage, but they're fun and they're fun loving. And her sister has been in a blended family. Laura's sister has been in a blended family now for 27 years, and they're actually sending her to our event to be on our panel we're going to have. But um, it's special near and dear to their heart because it's it touches them. They're not blended, but, the, you know, her sibling is. And so they've been a huge support for us, too. And so we haven't, we started it with, like, guns a-blazing, but along the way, we have really found people that, and Jay and Laura are huge in their faith, their Christians, to come alongside of us and help us and support mm -hmm. us and make sure we don't know everything. We do not even, we're not even close to knowing everything. Josh doesn't know much at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have heard. Yeah, right. That's right, man. Yeah. Josh, I had this conversation just the other day with my fiance. I said, you know, I don't need Google. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just arm candy, okay? That's all. Yeah, that, that, that's, right. that's right. And the credit card. Right. <laughs> right. So, right. But, but here's a point that I would like to make, and it's actually something that um, a conversation that I had with my fiance very early on in our relationship, and it was actually something that she told me later. She thought, this guy has this, has this I'm trying not to cuss to be respectful of you guys, because I know thanks. on your show, yeah, I'm not very good at it. Pete's like, you're so like really holding back. But <laughs> um, So I didn't even realize that this was one of the things that she found very attractive and said, this guy has his stuff together. And the conversation went, I said something about, oh yeah, Kai's with his mom and, you know, her boyfriend or something like that. Or, and, and she said, well, how do you, how do you feel about that? Or she kind of opened up the conversation and I just said, you can't have too many people that love your kid. Yeah. Huh. Right. And that's what a blended family, if done right, is about. Yeah. And if you're talking about the church in remarriage, like I just brought someone in that loves my child mm -hmm. and will be a role model and a mentor in a positive way. What's wrong with that? Right. And the answer has to be nothing, but for the fact that the way you got there is getting divorced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And shouldn't yeah. the church family represent 
everything aspirational about what you just said, Seth, right? If you, uh, to Josh's point, if we're not afraid to say the hard things, one of the hard things is we have to love people through the whole process. I love that so much. You know, with with people, when they come into the church, it's we just want to say, OK, get into the swim of the rest of the, the, the herd here. Yeah. You know, just get running with the rest of the herd. And that's just so unfair because blended families, step families, we have very unique problems, very unique problems. You know, we have Christy mentioned it earlier. You know, our kids can only come every other Sunday. Well, we have a camp point thing that kids get to earn camp points when they show up at church and they get to use these to, you know, pay for camp or whatever. And it's like, why are my kids only get half the points? It's not their fault. And it's like the church doesn't adapt to change these things. It's like yeah. just jump in and run with the herd. And that's just it's just an insensitive way to handle. And that's these already then teaching the kids to kind of be uh, it's they're different just yeah. from coming from a blended family. Pete, we've talked about this on the show. The kindergarten teacher knows every kid that's divorced Yeah, because yeah. on a Friday, that kid is bringing a bigger bag that's going to sit in the corner and go to a different house. Yeah, so true. Right? And that's exactly what you just point out. Why do they have to be, quote unquote, different in that aspect? Why, you know, and your point is, it's never the kid's fault. Right. Never. Right? It's never the kid's fault. So but they so make the it, burden, though. So make it 100% of the Sundays. That's what him and I have talked about. Make it that they get a 100% of the points of the Sundays they can come. So if they can come every other Sunday, they should get, you know, double the points for that Sunday, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the camp points are. And if they don't come, they don't get their points, just like everybody else. But they only can come every other week. So but the church ignores it was yeah. really the whole point. It just yeah. ignores it. Yeah. It's, you know, we just, no, that's fine, you know. We'll figure it out. And our kids, our youngest is 18 now. So I'm like, well, we're beyond that. No nope. one cares. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, where do you guys live again? We Michigan. Live near Flint, Michigan is where we live. Okay. Because I'm like, I'm ready to get on a plane and come do a round table with you guys at your church. But we're going to have to wait till the spring. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> well, you guys, uh, one, uh, you're fantastic. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your wisdom and being willing to have this kind of a conversation on the show. It is, again, it is new for our show, but I am sure that there are people of all kind, a whole spectrum of belief systems and affiliations who are listening to this and just appreciate that this kind of conversation is happening and that it's up to people like you and like them to push these issues forward and and love each other through the whole process it's fantastic where where did you where do you want to send people i mean we'll we'll send them to josh and christy but is there something you want to have people look for specifically what are you plugging right now yeah so if you send everybody to josh and it's christy with a k and a y and uh, right at the very top we if uh we give them a special code we can uh, give them a free ticket to our event. We would be willing to do that. Fantastic. So we'll put That's it in the show notes. Nice. We'll, we will yeah, put that put in the show notes. notes. Thank you so much. We'll put that link in the show notes. Check it out. Uh, and uh, our, our huge thanks to you both for doing this. Thank All you right. so, yeah, thanks for having us. so much. Let me tell you, Pete, I was on their show. Yeah. They're a much better guest on our show. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like, like. I, I told him at the end of their show, like, you might not want to air this one, but I appreciate your time. You know? <laughs> no, it was yeah, I liked what you had to say. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it. Very unique. And I, I said, I'm, I think I thought you guys were saying how to split a toaster like you've had to actually split a toaster in a divorce. So I thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's great. If you only knew. If you only knew, uh, right? <laughs> Thank you so much. On behalf of uh, our fantastic guests, Josh and Christy Grochi, uh, we also have Seth Nelson. You know him. He's America's favorite divorce attorney. I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. 
Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, how to split a toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.